Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fight you now. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here in another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. And today, we're going to do a little bit of lesson planning. We're going to look at the blueprint that the Cleveland Cavaliers are laying out following their big Donovan Mitchell trade. We're going to kind of examine where they could be going, what's going well, and kind of look at the angles and see if this is really something that the rest of the NBA could be learning from. I know it sounds kind of silly to be learning from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Without further ado, let's run in and figure this out. All right, so first, we probably need to explain why we're looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers at all when looking at the blueprint or the lesson plan for how to do a team. I mean, after all, you're talking about the franchise with the most number one picks in NBA history at seven. They've got 24 top 10 picks in their franchise's history, most notably in the four years that LeBron was in Miami. They had the number one pick three of those four years. This franchise has all those number one picks, all that talent, and just one NBA title to show for it. I feel like it's easy to think that why would we be looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers to build this thing out, especially when you think about how in the LeBron years, the most recent success era they had, they weren't really big on the draft or building. It was all super team style basketball team construction. When LeBron showed up, they traded away number one overall pick Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love and just continue to find different vets for veteran minimums and those kinds of things coming and surround LeBron James with his buddies. I mean, they went out and got like Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade and guys that LeBron had grown up playing with at various points. And while they did get the franchise's lone title in that window, it was not a type of roster reconstruction that other teams can take notes or take the lesson plan from, right? If I'm trying to build my team, I can't just hope that the number one overall pick, one of the best players of all time, is born in my backyard. I get handed the number one overall pick in the year he is eligible for the draft. Two years later, by the way, he would not have been eligible for the draft. He'd have had to go to college for a year, but that's a whole separate conversation. Anyway, so I get the number one pick in that season, 
I upset him enough that I write the Comic Sans letter and the Dan Gilbert and all that kind of stuff. He goes to Miami, and then he likes his hometown enough, the hometown of Cleveland. And while the Drew Carey Show tells us Cleveland rocks, I got other opinions on Cleveland. Anyway, he comes back to Cleveland after his time in Miami. I don't know how you get a guy to do that in the first place when he can play anywhere in the world he wants, and every team he goes to will start to construct their roster around him. But I really, really don't think that whatever caused that, it's just hometown love, I guess, but whatever caused that, you can't just assume that other teams can just take that lesson plan. Like if Houston does that with Justice Winslow, TJ Ford, Jimmy Butler, are they a title team? If New Orleans manages to pair up DJ Augustine and De'Aaron Fox, are they a title type of team all of a sudden? I don't I don't think that's a very normal progression for teams to make to just go get kids that were born nearby and build one of the best teams of all time, mounting the best comeback of all time in the NBA Finals, just because one of those guys just so happened to be one of the greatest players to ever play the game. However, as we look at what the Cleveland Cavaliers have done since LeBron James' exodus, they actually are laying out a blueprint that is very, very mimicable across the league. And frankly, if you have the patience for a five, six, seven year plan, it actually makes a lot of sense and has gone kind of according to the plan and very, very well. So let's look at what that lesson plan would be for other NBA teams. All right, so to start this off, we're going to look at 2017. In 2017, Colby Altman gets promoted from a player personnel guy. He'd been a player personnel guy on the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers championship team. He gets promoted from that to the general manager. He then, in his first like big splashy type of thing, I guess you could say air quote splashy, promotes Mike Gansey, the 2017 D-League executive of the year, to his assistant within the organization, right? So you have Colby Altman and Mike Gansey running the show. That's in the summer of 2017. The summer of 2018, LeBron James famously leaves. Now, we can talk some about like piecing together when Kyrie left the summer before and all of those kinds of things and Altman and Gansey and how that ties into that, but I want to start with mostly a clean slate as LeBron James leaves because, frankly, had LeBron James wanted to stay, it certainly would have altered what they wanted to do. And, quite frankly, in swapping out Kyrie Irving, the Cavs start to get some guys to experiment. Remember, that's the season they have a big mix-up and roster midseason. They also get the 2018 first-round pick that turns into Colin Sexton, which ends up being really, really important down the line, as we see most recently. So, in 2018, those LeBron James-led Cleveland Cavaliers get swept by the Golden State Warriors. LeBron wants out. He's headed to the La La Land. It's time for a rebuild. Now, we could go on and on about how what should LeBron James have done here? What should LeBron James have done there? Should he stuck it out in Cleveland? Is that anything? He does go to LA. He does get the team he wants. He does get guys put around him that he wants. They do win a title. And we'll see what happens with the team he's currently on in Los Angeles. But I would argue that since he gets there and gets a title, he wins three titles, three finals MVPs in three different cities. I guess four titles in three cities. Anyway, I think that that all could be written off as a success. Again, one of the best players ever played the game, etc. If you're Cleveland, you're heading to that 2018 draft like, oh, God, this whole thing's got to start over. And the two dudes starting it over just got hired. That summer, they draft Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton is a great culture guy for a team that needs to be rebuilt. In his one year in Alabama, he's famous for doing things like leading a team that was shorthanded. They had to play three on five or some ejections and things like that. Uh, he had 27 points and a buzzer beater in an AM game. Uh, he, he has a win over number one seed Auburn at the time. 
Uh, big game against Kentucky. I guess it was technically in a loss. Uh, they get to the 2018 tournament, and Alabama's not a team that typically gets to the tournament, so it's a big deal for them. Sexton was a guy that was known for being tough and rugged and, frankly, was a great, great pick for the Cavaliers at the time. As previously stated, the Cavs got him with the eighth overall pick that they got in that Irving trade, and in doing so, you know, Sexton shows up, he takes number two, he kind of takes on this new face of the city, and at the time, it felt like a potential face of the franchise. He goes on to play in the Rising Stars game at the All-Star Weekend. He has a bunch of, you know, 28, 29, 30-point games as a first and second year player. I think we all remember in January 21 when he sets a 42-point career high and a double overtime win over the Brooklyn Nets. That was big and monumental because the Nets were the fully loaded. They looked like the three-headed monster, etc. And he comes out and gives them a 42-piece and a double overtime win as a Cleveland Cavalier. Just on the whole, a tough guy, a hard-nosed guy, a guard that attacks the basket in a way that, frankly, the city of Cleveland needs. It also, bluntly, won't lead to a lot of wins. We'll get to that in a second. And it also is the kind of thing that can set a culture in coaches and other players and say, hey, we can get behind the fight in that kid. That said, again, they didn't win a whole lot of games. They won just 19 games in the 2018-19 season, meaning that they were going to get another top-end pick. 2019 comes around. They get the fifth pick overall after the ping-pong balls fall out. They get Darius Garland out of Vanderbilt. Now, both Garland and Sexton are six foot one. They both play similar scoring point guard type of positions. And frankly, it would be understandable to see how some teams would say, hey, we can't touch Darius Garland. We just drafted Colin Sexton in the top 10 the year before. However, the Cavs said, this is the best player available. We'll find a way to make it work. That's how we got to build this thing. This is a long-term type of plan. Let's just get the best guy on the board. And they did. Also worth pointing out, in that same 2019 draft class, they take a flyer on Kevin Porter Jr., who is also an NBA starter currently. And they take a flyer on Dean Wade, who's also still on the Cavs roster currently. Now, in looking at those kinds of things, it's like all of a sudden that 2019 class feels important. Uh, you get into the 2019-20 season, and before COVID shortened the season, they went 19-46. and 46. The Garland and Sexton thing looks like it's working. That kind of means that Kevin Porter Jr. as that third guard slash small forward type of guy feels a little expendable for them. Uh, Dean Wade is a much more serviceable role player type of rotational piece. So they have Sexton at 21, Garland at 20. You know, Shetty Osman is at 24. He kind of fits in the mix here. They got a 27-year-old Larry Nance. In the midst of trading guys, they end up pulling in Andre Drummond, who's a 26-year-old guy. And while his playing style might not fit well with two quick, aggressive, attack-the-basket type of guards, I do think it's interesting to look at how they were kind of looking at guys on that 20 18, 19, and 2019, 20 roster that were in their early to mid 20s and just kind of throwing as many darts at the wall and seeing what stuck. Again, this is the kind of thing you can do when you have the long term planning in place and an understanding from ownership and management that this was not going to be a light switch. We're going to look at a lot of guys under the age of 26, 25, etc., and kind of see how things progress again they had 19 year old kevin porter jr on this roster they had a 22 year old named matt mooney uh, malik newman 22 marquise bolden a big kid out of duke was 21 like they had a bunch of pieces on this roster that they were kind of trying out to see how things were going to go 
Yes, they had Kevin Love. Yes, they had Tristan Thompson. Yes, they had Larry Nance for a hot second. But each of those guys is kind of at the exodus of their career. We see Tristan Thompson leave the league fairly shortly after a quick stint in Chicago. We will see Larry Nance leave the team in 2021 and head to Portland and then New Orleans and do a little bit of bouncing around there. Because again, this is a franchise looking at the guys like 26, 25, 24, and under. And those guys just didn't quite fit with the timeline in a way that was appropriate. Bluntly, they also are doing the same thing under Drummond, and we'll get to more of that in a second. But he didn't really fit the timeline from a fit with the guys they went with standpoint either. They didn't really have time to try and recreate Andre Drummond's game. Psh, time to dish him out as well. So then again, they went 19-46 and 46 before COVID shortened the season in 2019-20. Worth pointing out that that's the exact same win total as the year before and noticeably less games. So something was working. They get to the 2020 draft and they take Isaac Okoro. He was also the fifth round pick. This time, another SEC guy, but out of Auburn. So another private school guy in the SEC. He also worth pointing out is like a 6'5", 225, long, big, strong athlete in a way that Garland and Sexton are kind of more... I don't want to say dainty because they're you know fairly aggressive and well and like you know Sexton's got some broad shoulders on him, but they're more traditional shorter guard types. Okoro is kind of a versatile guard, two through four can play a lot of different perimeter positions. Not your traditional like creator point guard type, but definitely a valuable defensive piece theoretically, especially when you look at like his physique and how he carries himself on the basketball court. So again. Taking a chance on another guy. This is another chance to throw a bunch of darts at the dartboard. That's the type of athlete you want on your NBA roster. Unfortunately for the Cavs, after doing a bunch of deals in previous years, they didn't have a bunch of 2020 picks besides that number five overall pick for Isaac Okoro. So what do they do? They get to the season, and there's a bunch of disgruntled stars, notably on my Houston Rockets, that are looking for new teams. So to help James Harden get to Brooklyn, they say, hey, that you know, 23-year-old potential future all-star Jared Allen, we'll, we'll take him off your hands. Yeah, yeah, we'll just take him. Don't worry about it. We'll figure this out after the fact. So they have Jared Allen. Again, he does end up becoming an all-star. He's a big, rim-running, screen-and-roll type of defensive-minded center that fits very, very well with Sexton and Garland and the things they're building. So they push Andre Drummond to the bench, start seeking trade offers. No one offers. Within a couple months, they've actually waived him. He ends up taking some time briefly with the Lakers and then the Sixers. And I guess technically he's now on the Nets. But then I think he actually just signed with the Bulls this past offseason. He's bouncing around a little bit. His fit is interesting with a number of different teams. However, the Cavs said, you know what? We took our gamble here. We'll just waive him. We got money on the books. No big deal. Meanwhile, while they're sitting some of their guys like the Kevin Loves of the world, they are slowly starting to build a team that has some sort of chemistry. They go 22 and 50 because, you know, they add Jared Allen midseason and they got to have things gel and da 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 da. They also, you could argue, are intentionally taking a little bit because the 2021 draft was loaded. They only start Kevin Love for like 25 games. He only played in 25 games. Uh, they start dishing out guys like we get rid of Larry Nance here. We get you know rid of Dante Exum here. Get rid of Isaiah Hartenstein here. Get rid of guys that are still playing in the NBA. Clearly still NBA caliber basketball players. They're like, man, we only got our one pick. We got to make the most of it. And they end up getting the number three overall pick in the ping pong balls. That quickly becomes Evan Mobley. Now Mobley, you could argue there's some redundancy with Jared Allen, but once we saw it on the floor, we very quickly see that Evan Mobley's defensive versatility matches up crazy well with Jared Allen, and 
in a season where Colin Sexton was more or less not available because of injury. And same with Karis LeVert, who they also got in some of that trading, right? It's more or less unavailable because of injury. And bluntly, Jared Allen misses a chunk of games at the end of the season that really shifted how their season went with his own injury. You all of a sudden had a 44-win NBA play-in game type of team in Cleveland with a lot of stars under the age of 25, a lot of draft capital in the future, and frankly, a like, ooh, what could come next type of team. They head into the 2022 offseason looking to get healthy, looking to draft guys that can kind of fit with their mold. They draft O'Shea Agbaji, who I've been on the record multiple times, and I really, really liked his fit in Cleveland. He's a Kansas guy, a Jayhawk, so he's 22. Those guys tend to stay in college a little bit longer, be a little bit more mature. It actually worked out great. He was a 14th overall pick. He's going to fit in very, very well, kind of next to those two smaller guards. He's a long 6'5". I think he, with the Coral coming off the bench, you have Evan Mobley there, Jared Allen there, etc. But then, instead of playing Oshag Baji, the Cleveland Cavaliers decided to make the big, big move. The Cavs went all in. They pushed in and traded Oshag Baji, some future first-round picks, unprotected first-round picks, I should say, and a handful of other younger guys for perennial all-star Donovan Mitchell. Now, Donovan Mitchell was a disgruntled guard on a dismantled Utah Jazz team, and you're looking at them like, huh, who's going to end up with that guy? It seemed like the Kevin Durant speech is going to happen first. That fell through. Then teams went all in on Donovan Mitchell, and Cleveland, of all places, ends up getting him. I think it's worth noting that Donovan Mitchell, if you'd asked his druthers, it seems like, per all the different sources out there, wanted the Miamis, the New Yorks, maybe even the LAs, the big, flashy cities, and Cleveland said, no, we got a spot for this 25-year-old guard. Now, they did have to trade that guy, Colin Sexton, we've talked about a lot, to get this done, and Colin Sexton's impact on the Cavs is very well noted, but... As far as, like, dollars on the books, it swaps out closest to even when you include Colin Sexton, who's also coming up on his 24th birthday. They're around the same time spent in the NBA as well. It depends how you want to count that season that Sexton just had. We only played in 11 games, but whatever. You trade an upgrade at the position to go from a good culture guy to an all-star caliber guard. Do you still have the two small guards problem? Yes, but you also now have two bigs behind you that can help protect the rim in ways that they previously could not do when they first put the two guards, or the two small guards, I should say, on the floor together. you got Evan Mobley on one side. If he's out in rotation, you got Jared Allen on the other. It really, really provides a very strong defensive back line to where you might be able to sacrifice the front line. So let's take a look at what the books look like in Cleveland for this roster of guys that, if you wanted to start a bunch of guys that are 25 and under, they have actually all-star caliber talent in Mitchell, Garland and Allen. You hope that Evan Mobley turns into that, and you're still somewhat hopeful, I'm sure, that top five pick Isaac Okoro also turns into that. All of those guys you got on the books, you got Mitchell on the books through his 29 year old season and 25 26. You got Garland signed through 2027, Jared Allen is signed through 2026, and then Evan Mobley's on his rookie deal through 2025, and he's a restricted free agent that summer. It's worth assuming that unless something catastrophic happens or a big falling out happens, that he will sign the rookie extension because we so rarely see rookies not take that second deal because of bird rights and the more, how much more money they can make and those kinds of things. I assume he'll be on the roster as well. Isaac Coro faces that conundrum in the summer of 2024, and I think what's interesting there is, we'll get into it later, but he seems to be the most dispensable of the crew 
and he's kind of the most flexible position of the crew. But that's five guys that you start that are all put high potential, high ceiling, a couple of them already all-star type of guys. Under 25, you've got at least through 2024 and potentially farther. In the meantime, in the upcoming season, you've got Kevin Love and Karis LeVert still on your books. That's $28 and $18 million, respectively, that you can either A, play out the same wins we get this season. B, you can do some sort of a, a trade midseason towards the deadline to someone that, you know, needs the expiring money, get draft picks in the future, or someone that wants Karis LeVert, Kevin Love to kind of be that final piece for them that maybe has the money to figure it out. You can figure that out as well. And if you can't do any of that, you can, of course, buy them out take a couple L's if things are going south or buy them out and you know get the goodwill amongst the league because I think that guys do see that across the board. Further, you then will have that, what is that, around $50 million, just under $50 million coming off of your books in the summer of 2023. So if you want to figure out how you're going to re-sign Evan Mobley on a bigger deal, if you want to figure out how you're going to sign Isaac Okoro on the bigger deal, if you want to figure out how you're going to sign you know, Jared Allen after 2026, the money is already in your books. You just have to take it from the older guys like Kevin Love and Karis LeVert and put it into the younger guys. So they have money in the books clearing up for them to sign the four, five guys under 25 that should be starting in the upcoming season. Now, if you want to argue about a Coral versus Love and those kinds of things, I guess we can have the conversation. But in theory, Isaac Coro is going to have a longer time in Cleveland than Kevin Love. So again, that's Mitchell at 25, Garland's 22, Okoro 21, Mobley 21, Allen 24. Again, three all-stars, potentially four if Mobley turns into what he's projected to turn into, all signed through like 2025, 6, 7, right? That's a chunk of time to develop a young, young core. That's how this all makes sense in books. But on the floor, what I love about this is that both Garland and Mitchell can be great guards on and off of the basketball. Now, in Utah, Mitchell had to have the ball in his hands a lot because that's the way their offense ran. And frankly, until Utah brought in Mike Conley, that was the only way that Utah could initiate their half-court offense was to begin the ball in Mitchell's hands and seeing how he went to work. But when he's off the ball, he is over 35% from three. He even had one season he shot 38.6% from three. And so I don't know which donovan mitchell we're going to get on that end but he's a more than capable shooter that you have to account for in playing off the ball when garland wants to go and attack meanwhile mitchell is really really good off the bounce as an offensive initiator and darius garland is an even better three-point shooter as far as space and floor on the opposite wing will go garland has shot he shot 38 percent last year shot 39 and a half percent the year before from three he's a really really talented shooter that again is already attempting five or more threes a game and shooting at a very very high clip so you got to think that that's a great pairing there on offense they have a two big set that allows a lot of rim running versatility from two completely selfless guys in doing it. that means that you'll have Jarrett allen and evan mobley both work in the short role you can get some high low actions out of that and you have guys that don't need the ball in their hands to control the offense you'll see them both attack the boards They'll both reverse the ball. They'll both do things to help the offense go, even if they are not the shooters you want to see in a mo at least one of your bigs in the modern game. I don't want to completely write off Evan Mobley as a shooter because he is so young. 
I will say that we have yet to see anything like a true shooting streak out of the guy. And so I have to assume that there'll be like a small ball lineup where only one of them is out there and you have a Kevin Love type out there until you get rid of him. But you also can imagine that they'll have some kind of an option where you go off of the screen and roll, attacking the nail, kicking out to the other guard, and then on the short roll, they just inverse, maybe even do a Spain pick and roll, coming off of the backside there where you have a second screen for the screener, and all of a sudden you got so many bigs on the floor that they're playing above the rim in a way that you can't necessarily keep up with unless you pull your own big. Part of the reason this works, though, regardless of who the small forward is, and I assume that with the double big lineup, they'll want something to shoot from that spot, is you don't lose anything by having Mobley guard a three or a four defensively. So Allen can cover your traditional big, anything that is a one big set, two big sets, they don't give up any size, obviously. And in the one big set, they can have Mobley go out and guard perimeter type guys. He's proving time and time again he can do that. He did struggle as a lone big defensively when Jared Allen was not in the game towards the end of the season when Allen was hurt. However, with a healthy Allen, I'd imagine that Allen is probably the small ball five when they have four smalls on the floor you leave Allen out there as well because he is the true rim defender and again he's an all-star caliber guy at 24 that is not a flashy offensive type guy he made it because of his defense in the first place I could put in my two cents about why I think you should start Isaac Okoro to start the season and kind of work Kevin Lovin as a rotational piece kind of preserve his legs maximize his value for whenever you do want to get rid of him etc I will say, though, that on the shooting side of things, I'd like to see an increase in shooting percentages on increased volume out of Isaac Okoro if he's going to really lock down that small forward starting position on this team. Last season, he shot 35% on just under 2.5 attempts per game. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more attempts and see if the percentage at least stays the same. If that's the case, I think they're set. They got three guys shooting on the perimeter. I just talked to the yo-yo and big chef in and out. And I think that kind of an offense can really be effective for this young Cavaliers team. It certainly offers a lot of flexibility in the starting lineup alone for a guy like J.B. Bickerstaff to figure out as the head coach. So what about this lesson plan is replicable? Like what makes this a lesson plan and not just a story about what happened in Cleveland? Because thus far, all we talked about is what is going on in Cleveland. But what they did was in 2018, when old stars left, they completely rebuilt and completely started over and started from the ground up. They used that pick from the Kyrie Irving trade to get Colin Sexton and kind of start a whole new culture there. Now, what they did was they built up Sexton, they put guards around him like Garland, and they pulled in a Coro. They cast a wide net across the league for a bunch of 20 to 24 year old guys, Jared Allen included. At one point, Andre Drummond included. They went and got Shetty Osman and Larry Nance Jr. and these guys to kind of see how will they fit here. They found some pieces that worked along the way. They also added in top-end draft picks in Garland, Okoro, Mobley, and Agbaji. Then, once they saw a disgruntled star, also 25 or under, also that fit with kind of the mold of the team they had before, but was a clear, clear upgrade at that guard position in Donovan Mitchell, they went all in. They put chips in the middle of the table, put draft picks, the guys they just picked, etc., and said, hey, that guy can help us right now. We can maybe flip this light switch and go from a play-in team to a true five-seed, four-seed, three-seed playoff team, depending on how things break, by improving at that position. They were not attached to the draft pick they've had at the start of the ordeal, back with Colin Sexton, right? Because it'd be really easy as an organization to be like, yeah, but... 
he's our guy. He's the guy we got after. And fans, I think if they were not getting an all-star, might be upset about this. However, what they did was they said, hey, this is a clear, clear upgrade at that position for a guy around the same age that plays about the same amount. And frankly, if we're being blunt, was not hurt all of the previous season. They also, in doing so, have him locked up on contract for several more years because Mitchell had just signed extension the year prior in Utah. So they got Mitchell for this entire run. They've got Garland locked up for most of the run. They got Allen locked up for the first half of it. And as I mentioned before, Evan Mobley comes off his rookie deal. You have to assume he'll sign back. And they've got $50 million coming off the books starting next summer. They can keep this thing going. Those are all things that other teams can do. You can start your draft pick in your process a few years out from where you want to be. Again, we're in the fall of 2022 at September. You can say fall, right? Yeah? Okay, we're in the fall of 2022. This started as far back as 2017, if you're going to get technical, when they traded Kyrie Irving for that draft pick as insurance for if LeBron James left. They then slowly built this thing up by trying a bunch of guys in their early 20s to see what worked. They kept the guys that did. They continued to spit out guys that didn't. And every time a star caliber type of guy under 25 came available, Cleveland said, hey, what about that guy? Hey, can we go get that guy? And they got Jared Allen. They got Donovan Mitchell. And all of a sudden, they're a fun high end of the Eastern Conference basketball team. Are they going to beat the Bucks? I don't know. Are they going to beat the Celtics? I don't know. I do know that the Bucks looked very beatable without Chris Middleton. And if you look into playing them in a playoff series without Chris Middleton, all of a sudden, you got a shot. I do know the Boston Celtics had a great, great run, but they showed up in the NBA Finals and saw Jason Tatum kind of fall apart on the big stage. And I like Jason Tatum a lot. I think that is the aberration. I will say that that has to make you think that if you're Cleveland, you get him on the big stage, can you kind of flip this thing your way? Meanwhile, this definitely puts you over the edge of the Chicago's of the world. This definitely puts you over the edge of all of those back-end teams like Charlotte and Washington. You're clearly a step above where those teams are as it currently stands. You see Miami down south, like, huh, that team has been the Eastern Conference Finals two of the last three years, the NBA Finals in 2020. However, they have a bunch of older guys and Lowry and Butler, and how much longer do they hold on this for? Again, your core is signed on through like 2026, 27, if not longer. You feel like you've got the back end of that at least to start working your way into that upper echelon. So the keys here, you have your drafted guy, you lock them up when you can, you don't get too attached to that drafted guy, and you start to make sure you spin the wheel on all these guys you can get your hands on that are 25 and under, and when you see the all-star, you go all in. You don't worry about the fact that Agbaje was going to be a great draft pick, you go all in because this is a win-now type of move. Now, it's easy for Cleveland to do this because, as we mentioned, while they had some success with LeBron James there, he was born in their backyard and came back. On the whole, this franchise has not had a lot of success. You're not dealing with Laker fans that think they need to be competing for a championship every single year if you're Cleveland. You're dealing with fans that are just happy to have an exciting basketball team again. You're dealing with fans that like saw the shot over Elo. Fans that bluntly have a football team in town that's kind of icky to root for. Fans that just need something positive to be happening with their basketball team and don't have this championship pedigree of Boston or whatever, and all of a sudden, you're saying, hey, we're one of the best teams in the East. We we may be a couple years from winning this whole East thing and maybe a couple years away from winning the whole NBA championship and all those kinds of things, but we're going to be darn competitive right now. You push all your chips in and sell Cleveland on that, and that is the part 
that is extra, extra mimicable, right? All these franchises can go all in on these kinds of trades. There's worries about like, well, I have this young guy named Tyler Hero, and if I'm Miami, can I can I do that? Can I expend my young guy? Yes, you go all in, right? You go all in when the time shows up. You see this happening in Houston with all the young guys. They my Houston Rockets, right? All my yes, I'm talking about the Houston Rockets, but they have all those young guys and pieces and future draft picks. If the time were to arise where they could get an All Star at 25, 26 years old and have a 22, 23-year-old Jalen Green, and have a 22, 23-year-old Jabari Smith, and those kinds of things, yes, you push all in to get the all-star to pair with those guys, right? If you're Oklahoma City, you have all those draft picks, you have every draft pick from here imaginable, and you've got Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddey and all those guys, yes, if it arises, you absolutely go all in on the all-star to pair with those guys in a couple years once they've got a couple years of NBA basketball under their belt. Yes, you go get the defensive juggernaut to play behind them at the center position to see how it fits and how your young guys pair with a defensive-minded 23, 24-year-old as well. Frankly, I wonder if New Orleans is wishing they'd done something like this, right? They have Zion a couple years in the league. They got Brandon Ingram, who is a bona fide all-star. I, you know, I like CJ McCollum. I like some of the stuff they got going in New Orleans. And frankly, while I wouldn't have put him on all-rookie team over my man Jalen Green for a number of different reasons, I value offense more than the defense. We can do that on a different podcast. I will say that Herb Jones is a fun defensive player. They got tons of good defense there. But if you had a chance going on an all-star you got to you got to do it. You got to put some of those guys on the table and go do it and see what you can keep or whatever. But does New Orleans wish they had done this as well because they're looking at a Western Conference that is also either old or fading out or whatever. And frankly, they don't have to go through Giannis to get to the NBA Finals, right? They may meet him once they're there, but in the West, it's like the Warriors are aging out, the Lakers are trying to do this re- rebuilding thing really quickly, etc. and like all of a sudden it's like wait a second, can someone new win the West, and can that team be a New Orleans if they add an all-star? Can that team be a young Luka Doncic in Dallas, and they add someone in that's an all-star caliber guy around him? I mean, yes, they went and got Christian Wood, and I think it's actually a really good fit. We can talk about that later. But they add a bona fide all-star in the mix as well, even if it means they got to get rid of some of those guys that Dallas loves, like THJ and et cetera, right? The answer Cleveland is going with that is very, very applicable to everyone is the answer is Yes, you go get that guy, you push all in, even if you got to trade a coveted piece like a Sexton, because the truth is that you get better and you let the chips continue to fall. You lock it up like they've got, and suddenly you start to become the destination. Speaking of Cleveland being the destination, I guess I got to wrap this up with something that has been spinning in my head, and I just have to go over it because I think, truthfully, if this were to work out this way, there's like a lot of poetry involved in how these things work and how the NBA stratosphere works. I mentioned that Isaac Coro is a restricted free agent in the summer of 2024. Now, 2024 is not this upcoming offseason, but the one after. And I think it's worth pointing out that like that small forward spot, if you're looking at their starting lineup in Cleveland, is kind of the question mark, the weak point. The Do you start Kevin Love? Do you go really big? Like, What do you do with that spot? I'd like it to be the 20-year-old Isaac Okoro. However, I will say that there may be a different option come the summer of 2024 because while Isaac Okoro is a restricted free agent, one notable guy with the player option is an Akron, Ohio native, LeBron James, who plays, somewhat ironically, the exact same position. Now, if I'm looking at 
what will be a 39-year-old LeBron James and trying to guess where he will go if he were to not opt into the LA Lakers in that player option summer. The only notable thing we've looked at is in the 2024 draft, a certain LeBron James Jr., better known as Bronny, who was also born in Cleveland, will be NBA draft eligible. Now, if he does the G League Ignite, Overtime Elite, etc., whatever the case may be, 2024 will be the first year LeBron James Jr. is eligible for the draft. And Bronny, while you can talk about, you know, he's ranked 43rd in his class on one side, you know, 38th on another, and all those kinds of things, it would not be uncommon for a guy ranked in that area, that's a 6'3 guard with his kind of explosiveness and work ethic, to make it to the NBA. Now, we can talk about his name helping him, and I'm sure that, frankly, it probably will, but at the end of the day, it's not like it's a crazy thought that this Bron James guy is getting into the NBA, right? So LeBron James Jr. is eligible in the 2024 draft. LeBron James Sr. is also opting in or out of the Lakers in that same summer. And of all the picks they just gave up to get Donovan Mitchell, the Cleveland Cavaliers have kept their 2024 NBA draft pick, their first round pick. Now, I look at that and think, huh, I'm not trying to do the like Brian Windhorst fingers thing. But I will say, as I look at this, you could very, very quickly see a 2024 draft pick to Cleveland being LeBron James Jr., a 39-year-old LeBron James Sr. opting in at a vet minimum type of deal because, again, you have to think that that team will have started to pay the Mitchells, the Garlands, the Mobleys, the Allens. They have a lot of guys in the books. But at 39, LeBron is, A, making so much of his money not playing basketball, and, B, seeking out this other prize that he has mentioned before he wants to do. All of a sudden, you've got LeBron James Sr., LeBron James Jr., both in Cleveland as well. Now, I don't think 39-year-old LeBron James is the same kind of guy that was there in 2018 when they got the NBA Finals. And yeah, they got swept, but LeBron James in 2018 was a very, very dominant guy. I don't even think he'll be the same guy he was in 2020. And frankly, I don't know if he'll be the same guy he was in 2021 or 2022 or 2023. But what I will say is, is that he will be a veteran that knows as much about basketball as anyone associated with the NBA as far as how it's played on the floor. You can judge him about roster construction later, but he plays the same small forward position and he'll come in with a bunch of leadership and championship pedigree that a young team at that point, when they're 27 years old, 24 years old, 23 years old, 26 years old, that's Mitchell, Garland, Mobley, and Allen respectively, they may need someone with a championship pedigree to kind of come in and show them the ropes about what it looks like to build that kind of a team on the inside. Further, what better way to attract a bunch of guys on vet minimum deals than to have LeBron James, who's many of them's favorite player from when they were growing up at that point, or even some of them like buddies from previous stops or whatever, come sign with him in Cleveland as well. Now, I understand in 2024 that that summer, if nothing changes, they currently have $107 million on the books because the Garland extension will kick in. They're paying Donovan Mitchell a lot of money, and that'll be the final couple years of the Allen deal. You have to imagine that Mobley bumps into the upper end of his deal. So it would not be a long deal. But is it completely crazy to think that a 39-year-old LeBron James wouldn't take a vet minimum or a very big discount to play with his son in his hometown for a team that at that point would have a real chance, you know, barring some other super team happening around Giannis or Luke or whatever, to win the whole thing. Now, 
I'm not saying he's the best free agent available in 2024. I'm not even saying that Cleveland necessarily wants the version of LeBron James that they're getting there, but they have suspiciously kept that 2024 pick. They have suspiciously a big question mark at small forward, and they have suspiciously and bluntly just traded away Oshagbaji, who might have been a solution at that spot. Now, as I look at that spot, there will also be other free agents that summer. There'll be Pascal Siakam, Jalen Brown. Uh, I guess you can move some stuff around, and Porzingis and Sabonis are also big guys that'll be kind of in the same time frame and mold. But I'm getting obsessed here with the poetry of 39-year-old LeBron James returning to play with his son and a bunch of young Cleveland Cavaliers that are ready for the push into being a championship basketball team. It would have to work in a way that LeBron James is not overbearing. LeBron James would not be the focal point of that offense, but he would be the kind of guy in the film room and on the floor coaching through things, etc., that you'd want to have on your team. And frankly, while I don't think he'll necessarily be the star of it, I mean, he may prove me wrong, I don't necessarily think he'll be the star of an NBA team competing for a championship at that point in his life. I don't think he won't be a starter, if that makes any sense. And I could see how very quickly that becomes an important, important deal. And if and when it happens, let's come back to the fall of 2022 and say, I told you so. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, friends. Aside from my potentially poor predictions, do you feel like you have a better understanding of what the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing and why they went and got Donovan Mitchell and how this thing could play out and how this is a fairly replicable team-building Thing that other people can do if they just give themselves the five, six, seven year window to do it in. Shout out to the city of Cleveland that frankly has an achy feeling football team and not so great baseball team and needs something to latch onto. I hope the Cavs serve as that for you. Uh, we'll be watching them all season long here on both this podcast and on various Belly Up NBA shows we do throughout. So make sure you're following at Hoops Belly Up on Twitter and Instagram, those kinds of things. And you follow this podcast on instagram and twitter as well on instagram we're at f underscore n underscore sports that's at f underscore n underscore sports and on twitter at fn sports two that's f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s number two all one word on twitter on both of those social media handles you go to the link tree in the bio from the link tree you go to all of our sponsors that's yeti the beer struggle 
in the clutch.com, etc. All different links can be found in that link tree as well as all of our episodes and our merch store. As I sit here recording, I have our Flunk Alzheimer's shirt on. It looks great, feels great, and all proceeds go to the Alzheimer's Association for the month of September to make sure you go grab a shirt and help us flunk Alzheimer's that's in the merch store, which is available at the link tree in the bio and all of our social media handles. If you're looking for me and my personal stuff, you can find me at Painsworth512, that's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on both Twitter and Instagram. I'll be posting all the things I'm writing, recording, stuff about sneakers, stuff about my Texas Longhorns, losing probably to Alabama, talk about my Houston Rockets, uh, you know, losing a lot of games as well as going after the win by Giannis sweepstakes. I'm doing all kinds of things on Twitter, so make sure you follow me there. If you're looking for a way to support the show for free, you can download, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, leave us a positive review, do all the wonderful things that help with the podcast, and whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.